very simple equation. If you want to lose weight, if you want to burn fat, you're going to need to have a reduced calorie intake. Welcome to Forever Young, the health and well-being podcast from Lanzerhof. My name is Mario Pedazzoli, and in every episode, join me in conversation with a variety of health experts and special guests as we explore what it means to live well. We may not find the secret to eternal youth, but join me on our quest as we explore just what it means to live a balanced, healthy and happy life. Hello again and welcome. In today's podcast, we uncover the truth behind common fitness myths. And with new exercise routines emerging every week, new gurus trending by the day and just when you're getting the hang of things, a fresh study contradicting all the other ones you had decided to swear by, it's easy to think that fitness is confusing, but it just doesn't have to be. The good news is that the fundamentals stay the same, the science is sound and pretty well agreed, so by simply arming yourself with a few basic facts, you can step into any gym forewarned against whatever fresh nonsense is being peddled on Instagram or anywhere else for that matter. And to help us make sense of it all today is Jason Reynolds, Head of Fitness here at Lanzerhof at the Arts Club. With over 10 years of experience as a personal trainer, reformer Pilates master instructor and injury rehabilitation specialist, Jason has been leading the fitness team here since the club's opening in 2019. Jason, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me, Maris. Uh, it's good to be here and hopefully good to help some people. Feeling fit today? Always, always. A little bit sore from training yesterday, actually. Uh, fitness myths. Well, they've been around forever, haven't they? Um, has the internet age simply made the problem worse, do you think? I wouldn't say it's necessarily worse, but I think more people have access to information, which is great. Um, but those things are sometimes quite random and can be a bit vague. Mm. So what might be relevant for one person might not be relevant for someone else. Mm. So sometimes it's about understanding what, what they're reading and what that information means for them specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, and training for one person and another can be totally different. Mm -hmm. So it's all, all, all goal dependent. Absolutely. Well, look, for today's show, uh, we, we thought we'd take a different approach and we thought we'd, we'd get some help in compiling this list of, of common fitness myths and questions from, from our listeners, our members and the, and the Lanzerhof community in general. So thank you, everyone, who's contributed. Um, now, Jason, they all know who you are, so no pressure answering yeah. this, okay? <laughs> um, So, look, there are, there are two recurring themes uh, throughout, um, diet versus exercise and muscle versus fat. So uh, let, let's kick off with uh, some of the questions in these areas. Um, if you have built muscle, is the first question, and then you stop training, does the muscle actually turn to fat? No. Very bluntly, no. And it's probably one of the most amusing myths that we ever hear in the gym. And most any, any trainer who's been in this industry for a little while will have heard it from someone. Um, no, they are very, very separate entities. That's not how it works. Mm. Um, gaining muscle is quite difficult and keeping muscle requires a certain level of maintenance. Mm. If you decide not to train, the muscle size will slowly over time reduce. Mm. Um, but there is also a base level of muscle that we build. Um, if you have your leg put in a plaster cast, for instance, you'll notice your leg gets smaller because not using the muscle will cause it to atrophy uh, mm. and get smaller. And, and that's a good way of understanding that we need to use our muscles to keep muscle size. So 
it doesn't turn to fat. It's just the proportion yeah. between muscle and fat has changed. Yeah, that's all. That's that's all that changes. Yeah. So uh, more often than not, when you have more muscle, you have less fat as well. And anecdotally, it takes a long time to build muscle, but it seems, I don't know, annoyingly very quick to, to yes to, to lose it. Very bluntly, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it it's a good way of understanding the discipline of training is that it takes a while to build muscle and to get that sort of physiological change mm-hmm. um, but if you spend three weeks on a sofa not doing anything you'll you'll lose some of it mm-hmm. so um, hopefully anyone who's ever built muscle will keep the discipline to, to maintain it and continue improving it hopefully. never ending journey exactly um, here is another my clothes are looser I'm feeling stronger but I weigh the same does muscle weigh more than fat again the internet was a really good uh, perpetuator of this kind of myth about how much more muscle weighed than fat or vice versa or the size difference and mm. you might have seen uh, photos on the internet of a big big blob of fat and a small bit of muscle weighing the same and uh, that's not entirely true um, yes muscle is denser and it is slightly heavier it's probably not nearly as sort of double as some people sort of make out um, mm. so yes if you have more muscle um, than you had previously in terms of uh, your, your size if you're the same weight etc um, you, know, you have more muscle out there there is there is a change there but it's mm. not you know it's not a hundred percent change from from muscle to fat it's not double uh, it's probably 20 30 percent more um, and that's about it okay it's the, the volume of fat is what gives is the, is the change again it's, yes. the, it's the body composition change uh, okay got it okay thank you very much uh, Next one is, can you please explain the 80% diet, 20% exercise rule? Um, I think that's the premise of the majority of the focus should be on what you eat as opposed to exercise, but maybe um, expand on that. Yeah, again, another statement from a a training, popular training book, maybe 15, 20 years ago, really kind of went hard on the 80-20 cut. Mm. Um, And everyone will be a little bit individual in that. Um, but there is a lot to say that your diet is incredibly important. You can't out-train a bad diet. Mm. It's just impossible. Um, but most people can eat a little bit better and train a little bit better and we'll start to see some improvement. Mm. So 80-20 really only applies as a strict rule for athletes and those in really good shape trying to continuously improve it. Um, I think if people stick really firmly to that Mm. it makes their exercise routine very difficult but also makes their nutrition and diet changes unsustainable Mm. so for every for an everyday person or someone who's just getting into training or someone who's just starting to to want to make changes it's little incremental bits don't worry about the 80 20 it's 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 too much at this point you just Mm. need to think about being a little bit better either reducing your calories if you're trying to burn body fat Mm. or trying to increase the amount of volume or exercise you're doing uh, to build more muscle mass so 80-20, though correct, isn't, again, necessarily for everyone. Mm. It's something that, you know, for athletes more specifically. Mm. Um, again, that's where trainers come in and seeing a trainer and getting that kind of individualized idea about what you need to do is really key. Mm. Um, because for some people, that just won't work because they won't be able to do it. And um, is it a simple maths equation related to this of, of, of burning more calories then you consume, you will lose weight. Is it as simple as that? Yes and no. <laughs> so no. <laughs> yeah. um, I think you might say that. Yeah. Uh, look, to, to a large percentage, yes. Um, nutrition is, 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 is much more complicated than that. Your hormonal factors, the types of nutrition you're, you're, you're putting into your body, um, they, they are very, very important. But on a base level, on a, on a you know, 
a very simple equation. If you want to lose weight, if you want to burn fat, you're going to need to have a reduced calorie intake mm. um, based upon what you know what your normal daily intake would be. Um, assuming you're doing exactly the same things. So mm. if you take two thousand calories in and you burn a thousand calories during your day, then that's that's your rate and that's that's where you are. And you have a thousand calories extra, you're going to put on some weight. But if you increase the amount of exercise you're doing, you bring that number down. Again, you're getting into a little bit more of a deficit. That's where we're going to make a change. So it might not necessarily be. It's about just purely an equation, mm. but it's definitely the starting point for most people when they're trying to change their diet. And then I suppose there are other factors, which includes time of day and 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 when you consume more calories and fewer calories. I guess we'll, we'll talk about that later too. But but I guess it's it's not as it's never as simple as it. No, absolutely not. First it's it's incredibly complicated it can be incredibly complicated mm-hmm. if, if one doesn't need to it doesn't always need to be incredibly complicated not everyone needs those incredibly high levels of information to make changes certainly to start with or at the early points of making changes mm-hmm. as you get further down the line you're trying to make smaller incremental changes then you might need to be more specific but for most people getting a better a better sleep habit uh, a better dietary position in terms of probably reducing the amount of um, you know carbohydrates they're having increasing protein increasing fats mm-hmm. or even just bringing down the amount of calories they're having if they're trying to lose weight they're the things to start with mm. as you get further in you've got to think about hormonal responses especially for females because it's a little bit more of a, a tightrope to, to walk mm. um, but again that's we could do a podcast talking about that alone yes. um, and maybe if people want to we, we can do that mm. um, but it's it's a very um, you know it's a very deep subject but for most people it's about getting into a slightly better position than they were the week before certainly and and Related to that, we, we received some comments on, on exercise plans and the impact that training has on our bodies. Um, and seeing as this podcast is addressing fitness myths, uh, no fitness myth podcast could go without the no pain, no gain question. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about that one. That's been around for time immemorial. Um, is soreness good for us? Um. I think you know the classic bodybuilders of the day sort of started it, and uh, the Arnold Schwarzeneggers of the of, of the world live live in that era. They live in, live in that world because that's what they need to do to make changes to their body. Um, it's not for everyone. Not everyone needs to be in pain. It is ultimately a little bit depends on what you're doing. If your goals involve increasing the amount of muscle mass you have, or getting incredible, or really increasing your strength, mm. then the way you do that is create small micro tears in your muscles that then rebuild uh, bigger and stronger. Tear and repair. Tear and repair. Um, and again, doing that on a large scale within like the bigger muscle groups of your body will cause a large amount of soreness. Mm. That's there's no two ways about it. Yes. But that is again that's reliant on you having enough weight, enough volume. Um, to, to make that happen mm-hmm. it's not again for everyone it depends on what your goals are if your goals are about increasing the amount of muscle mass if you're mm-hmm. you know a lot of guys might go and do a lot of bench press and want to get a big chest and if mm-hmm. that's the case every guy that's ever done that will know that you're going to get pretty sore doing it that's yeah. just part of the response that's when those tears happen when we get inflammation there, there's there's a build up of lactic acid carbon dioxide water and that creates a, a bit of a a a pumped feeling and that pumped Mm. feeling is what creates a little bit of pressure onto the nerves things like that that then cause that soreness that we have so i suppose maybe back in the day but even now sometimes that that myth was responsible for a whole swathe of people 
not wanting to train because uh, you know, for, for health-related <laughs> fitness, there is no need to, to experience discomfort of that. No, absolutely not. Um, you know, if you're if you're trying to move better, you know, have better movement patterns, getting out and out of you know back pain, knee pain, hip pain. No, you don't need to be in pain. You don't need to. There may be times when you start to challenge yourself a little more and you work a little harder and you might feel it a little bit mm. but it shouldn't be if it's limiting you the next day in terms of you can't get out of bed you can't go down the stairs mm. that's not relevant for people who are rehabilitating or starting mm. to really go through that process if you move great uh, you don't have any ailments or pain aches and you, you can train hard and you want to improve your muscle mass or really improve your strength Mm. then that's fine uh, but again that's a much smaller percentage of the population than those that are trying to be healthy and move well mm. uh, and trying to you know, keep their body fat down and the um and the pain itself uh, doms maybe you can talk yeah. about that what's happening there because day two is often worse than day one in terms of that discomfort yeah exactly um and again it's um scientifically we could go down a bit of a rabbit hole but effectively it is it's a it's a build-up of chemicals so lactic acid um, carbon dioxide water all, all basically released from the muscles of a byproduct of exercise and how we use something called atp which is the energy and how we how we kind of create energy in, in our body for our muscles to work mm. um, and that basically gets released into the muscle it then basically gets swollen the cells get swollen um, and that creates a lack of range and creates also a little bit of a suffocating response onto our nerves not bad for our nerves um, but it means that whenever we move a little bit we get a lot of soreness because there's just a constant bit of pressure there so it's not bad it's just a response that we have yeah um, people always kind of related it classically that lactic acid was the reason you got sore mm. um, that's kind of almost like a bit of a myth in itself yeah uh, it was actually uh, science done maybe probably about 100 years ago maybe even a bit longer now of uh, someone took blood from a uh, from a deer chased it caught it took blood test again and wondered why it was slowing down noticed in its blood test that lactate was higher uh, and then said oh well it must be lactic acid that's oh, why really? he slowed down oh. and that science has really stayed true to this day we don't actually really know what the specific reason of that is other than the fact that we, we lose a bit of range because we've got a lot of mm. cellular information um, so the fact that it's just lactic acid isn't true so if you blame lactic acid it's mm. not just lactic acid's fault Nothing. never never knew that yeah. uh, and actually w w relating to the to the pain the soreness the stiffness what steps can we take post-exercise to, to limit that discomfort in the coming days there are there are a few things now that we can do um, a lot of people dependent on kind of where you are price point and depending mm. on what you're where you are in the world and what you have access to um cryotherapy so cold shock therapy is is a again a very popular one and from a scientific point of view growing in mm. um growing in its popularity um basically the cold shock so not immersion therapy so not going in cold showers and not sort of um ice bath because they Again, without going too much into it, that will cause your blood vessels to go away from the skin and to get smaller to kind of protect you. So mm. cold shock is a cold where you're in a... Um, uh, the water's not on your skin, as it were. Mm. Um, causes vasodilation, so your blood vessels get bigger, you increase your blood flow, you increase your lymphatic system, mm. um, which helps get rid of that lactic acid, the carbon dioxide, etc. So you actually reduce some of that soreness, mm. um, which is perfectly good. So cryotherapy, if anyone's ever done it, is, is fantastic for this. It's one of the reasons... Here at Lanshoff, we champion it because it's great. And that's why it's here. Um, nothing we do is not based on science. Mm. 
Um, there are other options. You can, of course, if you don't have access to that, you know, people aren't going to have them at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, taking cold showers. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone who's ever read a little bit about Wim Hof or done any of the Wim Hof methods, again, they're equally helpful um, in terms of the cold. Uh, you won't get quite as good response as cryotherapy because it's a little bit more um, immersion, cold immersion. So you yes. get a little bit of a different blood vessel response, yes. uh, but you'll still reduce some of that soreness as well. Uh, people can take magnesium. You can get magnesium spray. Um, magnesium, uh, when it's absorbed into the into the bloodstream, can help reduce some soreness as well. Um, spray is the best because it's one of the few ways it can be absorbed properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you take it as a supplement, it will barely get out of your intestines with any level that will help you. So oh, buy, buy the spray because you'll absorb it in a better way. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, does weight training, this question was sent in, does weight training make women bulky? And should women lift lower weights and do higher repetitions than men? No. Good luck. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no and no. Weight training doesn't make women bulky and no, uh-huh. women shouldn't lift lower weights and higher reps than men. Um, women don't have test- have a much lower level of testosterone than men, first and foremost. So mm-hmm. for women to get to a point where they have a larger amount of muscle mass than they want to the point where they would this described as bulky mm-hmm. um, is so incredibly difficult it's mm-hmm. such a process it, it's not going to happen overnight it's not going to happen the one or two times you lift some weights it's going to take months right. and months of doing really hard work to get to a point where you feel like you've grown and built muscle mm-hmm. um, and if you ever if any female ever gets to the point where they've built too much muscle as we kind of mentioned earlier just take a few weeks off and you'll lose a bit and you'll be back to a point where you're happy so having too much muscle is never a problem but as you say it takes a very long time to get to that point and and how many times have has have we heard in the industry you know i don't want to do weights i don't don't want to get bulky yeah Um, and of course that that is a myth yeah i've been in this industry as you said over over 10 years um quite close to 15 now actually means i'm getting a bit older i guess um well i've got a question on that (laughs) Um, and basically, I've never, I've not trained a single person, not a single female. And obviously, I worked predominantly in a, in a women's training environment for a long time as well. And I've never trained a single female that's ever said I'm too bulky. In fact, quite the opposite. When they build muscle, that creates a better silhouette physiologically. Um, they're happier. There, there's no, there's no downside to building more muscle. And if it's ever, mm-hmm. if anyone ever gets to the point where it's too much then just take a few weeks off. Mm-hmm. It's really simple. Yes. Um, and the second part of that is about should women lift lower weights and do higher repetitions. Now, yeah. one of the most common ways that I would I could I could train someone to increase their muscle size would be to do a lower weight and more repetitions, so what we call a higher volume. Mm-hmm. So in fact, building strength without building too much size would be done by having a, a heavy weight done a few repetitions. Whereas to build more about size would be about a lower weight but more volume. So, so sometimes the myth is actually doing what it's not the opposite of what yeah. it says it's yeah. going to do. So people people always think that the heavier something is, the more it's going to make them bigger. That's mm. it's right up there with someone. Yeah, there was a a famous American PT who claimed that if you did exercises that where you opened your arms out wide, that would make you wider. It's right up there with, with, with <laughs> terrible things like that. And, and cycling will make your legs bigger and things. Yeah, it just, <laughs> yeah it's just, just not true. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Um, let's talk about spot training. Uh, thank you, Anjali, for this question. Is spot training effective? And I think that's a simple idea that you can exercise to lose weight in certain areas of your body or, in fact, increase muscle definition in certain areas of your body. Is that, is that 
how you see that spot training? So spot training, yes, it can, it is it is a it is a it's something you can do. Now that's there's two parts to that. So if I went to the gym and wanted to train on just making my biceps bigger, I could or you know look have be more defined, have more muscle mass. That's absolutely possible. But that is a combination of exercising to lower body fat and also to build muscle to increase that definition. Now, mm-hmm. building muscle in individual areas completely possible. You can choose the way you work and in the the range in which you work to target specific areas. But you cannot burn body fat in a specific area. It's not how our bodies work. Yeah. The way we store body fat and the way we do that hormonally, um, you just you're just burning it as a general fuel over your body. It's burning it as a as a as a just a, a part of who you are. Um, when that mean when people get to the point where they're like, oh, I got these stubborn bits of body fat. That's yeah. just, that's just one of the last bits to go. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean what you're doing isn't working. It's just that's the point where it's going to stay. And normally. And really, that there's a real, real reason for that. And again, something people often don't know is that happens to be under the arms or under the armpit, mm-hmm. top of the arms, top of the thighs, mm-hmm. because that's where our lymph nodes are. So it's a protective measurement for our organs. Mm-hmm. For women, it tends to be around the side of the hips. And for mm-hmm. guys, it tends to be right in the front of the belly. And that's because that's where our sexual organs are. So it's a protective measure. When oh. Our bodies are really smart with body fat. So it's not just random. It's there for a very deliberate so evolutionary reason. <laughs> That yeah, body fat it, protecting our evolution is <laughs> is incredible and has has developed us this way to to help us protect and obviously uh-huh. in modern society we're not getting chased by animals and having to hunt and kill yeah. so it's a bit unnecessary these days and maybe in a good few thousand years we might evolve away from the way we store body fat in certain ways but for now that's how it is and you just need to be in a position where you're working harder, burning body fat and building yes. the muscle mass in the area you want. That's how you're going to make the change. So generally training will take care of it all. It's just the stubborn remaining part. Yeah, eventually. it will eventually go, mm. but that's just going to be the last bit because our body will is trying. When we, when we store body fat there, mm. it, our body thinks we're doing that for a reason. Mm. Almost, uh, I won't say quite like hibernation. It's not quite that extreme. But it's the same point. If you give your body lots and lots of fuel, it's going to assume that there's a reason behind it. Mm. Equally, when we reduce it down, it understands the body starts to adapt to that process and knows that you can use your body fat as fuel. Very good. And and related to all of that, um, here's a classic. You know, will, will sit-ups, crunches give me great abs? It's actually a case in point, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's a, it's a good example of... Um, no, again anyone that's if anyone knows anyone who's got great abs there's two reasons why they'll probably be in pretty good athletic shape they'll be physically quite strong mm-hmm. and they'll train quite a lot but also they'll be they'll be lean because they're nutritionally very good yes. they probably aren't the people that hammer a couple of bottles of wine every weekend they're not people that um, you know keep Krispy Kreme in business um, you know they're people that probably eat quite clean foods have good amounts of protein quite low levels of carbohydrates mm-hmm. um, and exercise regularly it's you know, abs, abs are built in the kitchen is a bit of a statement, and that's kind of true. We all have abdominal muscles. It's just yes. how visual they are. Um, I think one of the comments I always like to make when this comes up is, if I was going to explain to someone about making their, sort of around their waist smaller, mm. uh, now, building muscle will make your waist bigger. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted, if you want to make your bicep bigger, you do exercises to make the muscle bigger. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to make it smaller, you wouldn't do anything. Mm. But when it comes to abdominal muscles, they work differently. Because people might sometimes go, oh, I don't want to work them, I don't want the muscles to get bigger because it's going to make my tummy bigger. Mm-hmm. 
so abdominal muscles are a little bit different on that and that, that's something that I've had mentioned to me before so the, uh, the way that they're organized are different so don't feel like you can't do abdominal exercises because it'll make your waist bigger um, there is a tiny amount of that that will happen uh, but it will only happen organically around the rest of your rest of your torso and your yes. hips as well yeah okay no no it makes sense well explained thank you uh, here's a good one dad bods are <laughs> <laughs> dad bods an inevitable consequence of the aging process and what can middle aged men do about it and that's from someone called Mario <laughs> <laughs> um I mean, look, the term dad bod is sort of, it's out there now. It's, it's quite, a, mm. it's quite a, a term for people getting a, getting a little bit older and getting a little bit, I want to say out of shape, but a little bit in not, a, not the shape they once were. So having a, storing a little bit more body fat around, uh, around their tummy, um, perhaps posturally not being quite as good. Um, that's common. And yes, age has something to do with that. Absolutely. As we, as we get older, our bodies naturally want to have a little bit more body fat. Um, mm. that's, that's, that's really normal. Um, and hormonally, our testosterone levels start to drop down. We begin to function not quite as well, basically, hormonally. We don't burn as many calories quite as, as actively. Mm. So we have to adapt as we, as we go through that point of getting older. Mm. So if you go from 30 to 40 and you try and do exactly the same thing every day, you won't be in the same shape you were when you were 30 because your body will start to slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, you can keep training and, and work on you know building more muscle mass to keep your metabolism higher, but that's that's something that you should do before things go south, as it were, yes. than necessarily as a, as a response to that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like I mentioned earlier, we do store, especially men, we do store our body fat uh, as a protective measure in the front of our tummies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not unusual to do that um, and again that's one of the last places where we'll reduce body fat so you might see people that have a lot of body fat around their around their around their tummy and their belly but not very much anywhere else because mm-hmm. that's again where our bodies are sort of sort of nudged evolutionary wise to, mm-hmm. to store it so if that's the last bit that you have keep going you're not failing yeah. it's just the next bit that's going to the last bit that will go is that excess that's yeah. in front of the tummy so okay great can i exercise too much yeah you can um, it's quite hard to exercise too much. Mm. It's quite a lot. Um, and I'd, I'd probably put in brackets that exercise can also mean activity. Mm. So normally when we meet people that are exercising too much, it's not the actual time in the gym that's the problem. It's outside of that, they are running around after children. They're maybe going on long cycles. They're walking 10,000 you know, 10, 10 kilometers more, you know, three or four times a week, they're really getting to the point where their body's not allow, a, able to recover. Mm. And recovery is incredibly important. Mm. Um, we talked a little bit about building muscle earlier. And when you work your body to a point where you get some, some soreness, you get some inflammation, that's actually the repair process going on. And if you don't let that happen, if you go back to working those muscles again, you avoid that repair process, mm. your body just will, your lymphatic system will just get rid of all the, the byproducts and you won't repair at all. In fact, you'll actually get a little bit weaker mm. because you're not giving yourself the ability to recover. You're cre- creating micro tears uh, and going into a position we call overtraining. Now that's really difficult. That's quite hard to do. If you train five days a week, uh, Monday, Monday to Friday, because they're the days you're in the office, mm. if you did the same things every day, you'd probably get to a point by the end of the week where you're overtraining. Mm. You could probably do you know, in, in one week, if you did your upper body session, you know, th- upper body work three times a week and your lower body three times a week, you'd be okay. You'd probably 
get a bit sore and it wouldn't be that comfortable one of the days, but you'd probably be okay with it uh, in terms of what you could physically do. Uh, but it wouldn't necessarily be good for you. We generally recommend to people that training, you know, sort of resistance training particularly, three or four times a week is more than enough. Um, that recovery process we talk about mm. isn't just purely what's happening in your muscles, it's also a hormonal response as well. Um, if we overdo that, we increase um, some of our stress hormones, mm. uh, cortisol and noradrenaline particularly. If they spike up, you won't be able to build muscle, you won't be able to burn fat, and that's just the opposite of what people are trying to do. Yes, but the truth is, the rest part of all of this is as important as the exercise. Absolutely, part. and and rest rest is quite a loose term. Rest doesn't mean you know it doesn't mean bed rest. It doesn't mean you know you've got to sit and watch Coronation Street. It's it's well <laughs> or something like that. Whatever whatever people listen or watch these days, I guess uh, yeah. Netflix. Who knows? Um, but it's. It's, it might be that on that day off, instead of doing heavy resistance stuff, you might come and do some something that's more mobility based. It might be that you come and do Pilates mm. or yoga, mm. uh, or come in and use your foam roller or mm. use your you know, trigger point balls and things like that to, to help you move better. Mm. Um, it might be that you come in and do cryotherapy to help your recovery. It might mm. be that you get a massage. So, it's it's rest is a is a term away from doing resistance training as opposed to bed rest. Mm. And quality of sleep is also part of that Huge. equation as well, isn't it? Hugely. Probably quality of sleep is decreasing isn't it with with time and yeah. blue light and, and all the other distractions yeah. we we live in an incredibly distracted age where mm. you know if i explain to a client that they need to put their phone in another room before they go to bed it seems <laughs> it seems un, you know unfathomable that that's something that people will do mm. so yeah it's it's tricky sleep is important um if i stopped 10 people on the street and asked them how many hours of sleep they got I've maybe one out of the 10 might get eight hours sleep mm. at best especially you know in the part of London that the London broken room. sleep as well yeah a good sleep so um, and pe- people put no time and interest into it they put their head down mm. shut their eyes and wake up in the morning and go again and mm. there are many things that can influence it many many things but little things that people do trying to get a good a good sleep pattern in mm. terms of um, regular sleeping times is really really key your body does adapt to that as well um, if, if you can't get eight hours sleep or you can't get up towards eight hours sleep every day because of work children life whatever happens then it's more about being consistent consistency is the next sort of part of it really is if you yes. can only get six routine. hours get into that routine know your body will start to adapt and know that at 11 o'clock mm. head hits the pillow that's it go to sleep and uh well these days like a lot of things now we can measure quality of sleep can't we we can there are there are many many products out there and wear, mm. wearables that, that people have um mm. you can put your phone under your pillow which i don't necessarily recommend but mm. um there are there are watches there are rings there are there are there's lots of products they can do so if anyone doesn't sleep well or struggles in the morning then tracking your sleep is the first step towards figuring it out and speaking to a professional most trainers we're very versed in these days but again your doctor will be able to advise you towards people that can help you kind of improve those things and ultimately if you're not sleeping well Mm. you're not going to do anything else well you're not going to burn body fat well because hormonally you won't be in a good position same for building muscle you'll have memory function cognitive functional will drop down you'll perform you know whether it's work or studies you won't be as good People put no time in sleep because, you know, people say, oh, I sleep when I'm dead or something like those kind of throwaway <laughs> comments. But um, ultimately, you're just not very good. And anyone that is doing that and is getting away with it for now, it, it's going to catch up with them sooner rather than later. Mm. 
Should you always stretch before exercising as well as after? I think I would probably change the word stretch and replace it with prepare. Mm. Um, Good answer. People, people always talk about, oh, I need to stretch afterwards and before, and, and sometimes it's not relevant at all. Mm. Uh, preparation is the key, and sometimes that might include some stretches, but it might include some release work for certain muscles. It might involve some activation work for muscles. It might be um, some movement preparation. So if you're exercise sequence is going to involve some hinging or some lunging you need to prepare your body for the fact that it's going to hinge and lunge yes. so it might be doing unweighted versions or mm. unresisted versions of those yes. exercises so it should always be related to the exercise you're about to do. 100% if, mm. if I had a, a, a pound for every person that's ever asked me you know if I'm going to go running what stretches do I need to do mm. and then when I tell them that they need to run to get ready to run mm. They find it sort of quite crazy, but most people don't prepare themselves to run by doing some running. Mm. Um, and that's really easy. It's a really easy way to start to get your body used to it. And we're not talking sprinting, but start mm. to get into the patterns where you're you're creating a, the hips flexing more, the knees lifting more, the mm. hamstrings are kicking and extending backwards. If you do those things, you're prepared. Yep. Um, so yes, preparation before, you know, and even afterwards, it's not necessarily preparation afterwards, but it's it's preparation for what you're going to do in two days' time mm. because you're preparing your body to deal with the, what you've just done as an exercise session. So again, that might be doing some cold shock therapy or some something to reduce inflammation. It might yes. be uh, it might be even little things like eating and drinking well, getting making sure your fluid levels are high. Um, you know, making sure we're not getting into an electrolyte disbalance, for instance. So making sure your sodium levels are at a good balance, um, which. Again, some people, you know, knowing these things isn't easy. Most people often know when these things aren't good because their body doesn't work the way it should. Mm. Um, you know, that's, again, 10, 15 years ago was a valid argument for people, but in this day and age of information, it's just not. The ability for people to go and get a blood test, a full, a full workout blood test, explaining to them where they are hormonally, where they are in terms of, um, you know, the vitamins and minerals in their bodies, is, 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 really, is pretty cheap and also very, so readily available that you can buy a pack that's sent to your house. Mm. You, have, you find a, a walk-in nurse, which in London is just probably one every 250 yards, mm. and then you send it off in the post. It's, it's very accessible. And again, something that we champion here at Lanzerhof is that as, you know, as members come in, we recommend they see the nurse, they see the doctor, get these things tested because you can train hard, you can sleep well, you can do all these things. Mm. But if you're not in a, if your body's not in a position to adapt, you're just being inefficient. Jason's referred to a number of our services here, and for more information, email lanzerhoff at theartsclub.co.uk. Thought I'd get that in there. Um, how does exercise? Well, does exercise increase your metabolism and your metabolic rate? And let's talk about the function of, of age in that. You know, it does slow down with, with age. Yeah, um, yes, uh, it can do, absolutely. Um, getting the body into a habit of, of working more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we all get into the position of generally being more active, being happy, more active, and organ function can improve. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of metabolically specifically, and our, our, our metabolic uh, kind of activity, uh, metabolic rate as some people will know it um, mm. having more muscle is the best way to become more metabolically active if you have more yes. muscle mass you will burn more calories on a daily basis mm -hmm. uh, and again really easy statement for people that want to change their body shape 
and go, well, I want to burn fat. I don't need to build muscle. Well, actually, mm. the best way to burn fat is to build muscle. To build muscle. Um, and anyone who wants to do that, that that's, that's, that's a really easy way to do it. So actually, weight training is more beneficial in speeding up the metabolic rate. Than Absolutely. Cardio training, for example. Yeah. Cardiovascular training is not the best way to burn body fat. Mm. I know we sort of. See, I think that there's a myth there. Yeah, there's right a myth there. in itself. Yeah, people go and that we, we see it all the time. People come in, they go on a bike, they think they need to hit a certain heart rate zone, mm. and they do it for 40 minutes a day. And mm. after about three weeks, they realise they're not making any change whatsoever. Mm. Heart rate zones, if you're heart healthy, like your cardiovascular is healthy, heart rate zones are a pretty dated science. Um, you might, you know, you need to get to a position where you're you're creating yeah. ad an adaptive response. Yeah. Okay. Again, if you have certain cardiovascular measures that you need, if you've been to see a cardiologist and you need to be fitter in certain areas, there is some premise to it. It's not completely dated for that. Mm. But in terms of healthy individuals trying to improve their cardiovascular function, mm. it's just not true. You need to do something that's going to challenge you. You need to get a little bit outside your comfort zone um, and and continue to do and repeat it mm. on, a, say, a weekly basis. And as it gets easier, make it harder. Well, actually, um, that maybe leads us to the next question that, that came up. And that is about uh, HIIT training, high-intensity interval training. Um, is it too good to be true? Because generally, you know, it's shorter amounts of intense time. Uh, does it really reap the benefits that it says it does? High-intensity training... Uh, interval training isn't bad, um, but a lot of people, it, it becomes the only part of their training. Um, one of the hardest challenges I have with, with, with the people I train is in them into a rounded training program that includes resistance training, includes some sort of mobility work, includes some intensity work, uh, includes, um, you know, includes post and pre-training recovery and preparation, being active enough to, to, you know, to move enough steps every day, to sleep well, all of those factors. Um, and in high intensity is a big is one of those things where people just come in they're like well half an hour is enough I'll hammer it and again it's just not going to make that much of a change you're going to get a good cardiovascular response mm. uh, and you may be a bit fitter from it mm. but it's not enough repetition or enough volume to increase muscle mass yeah. probably again specifically more for females than males it's such a dramatically intense thing that it creates a big hormonal response that isn't positive or it takes a long time to end up being positive mm -hmm. um, so it's not to say high intensity is bad but you need to be fit to yes. be able to get reap the rewards from it I see so okay. a lot of people do it because they want to get into training and burn body fat and they're like high intensity is more calories burned um, but that's really the only part of it it's like reading a back of a uh, you know a pack of a food a food item and reading the nutrition nutritional part and just reading the calories there's lots of other information that are relevant to that as well and and with high intensity training do you also reap the benefits of calories being burnt post exercise as well is, is that true yeah there is yeah and that's the same for for all exercises effectively mm. um uh yeah post exercise oxygen consumption is 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 true it is we, we continue to burn um but again some of that comes down to again how hard you can work as well if you're if you're fit and you're strong and you can work really hard in a very good state mm. you'll continue to do it more if you're very unfit and you're doing high intensity training you're getting very out of breath you're having to sit down again you're going a little bit beyond the point where that's going to be relevant in terms of the calories you burn compared to where you end up being kind of a bit skewed hormonally as well mm. um okay. so yes it, it you can be but it's, it has to be at the right time for you yeah and 
When is the best time of day to train? Does that have an impact on results? Yes. Yes, it can. Um, it's really easy for me to say there's a certain time. It's probably the, the thing as a trainer that is the hardest for me to figure out and get with people is understand when they can train and when, when's best for them. Some people, they will only be able to train at seven o'clock because after that they go to work, they don't leave work till seven, eight o'clock, they want to mm. go home, tuck mm. the kids in and there's no other time that they can get to the gym. Mm. If that's the case, it doesn't matter when's best for you, that's the best time because other, otherwise it's no time. Yes. Um, there are some studies and some science about uh, what we call circadian rhythms, which is the point in kind of which your body's functioning the best. Mm. Um, some of that was based uh, on sort of when Olympic records and things like that was set as well. Um, I think it was Vanderbilt University in America did a big study on this with Olympic athletes as well. Um, and I think it was anywhere between sort of 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. is that sort of optimum time. Like that's when most world records were set. Okay. Um, so sometimes um, some events have actually changed in the Olympics on when when they are during the during the competition to make sure to that enable to enable peak point. performance in the finals. So the 100 meters final oh, yeah. is always in that time window. It's mm -hmm. never first thing in the morning. No, it's not, is it? Never. Huh? And it, it had nothing to do with schedules. It is entirely to do with mm -hmm. the, the superstars of that world. Mm -hmm. They want the, it, it's good for the sport if the superstars break world records. Of course. So that's why they give them the most opportunity to do so. Got it. And is there a best time best time to exercise but is there a best time to eat uh, is it after exercise is it immediately I look, there's, look, there's a window uh, post training in terms of getting protein in mm -hmm. um, for, for what we call optimal protein synthesis so if you're trying to build muscle and, and recover from exercise protein's really important mm -hmm. um, so again you have a, a window really that sort of degrades up to about an hour after you train if you wait over an hour you're probably going to get very little protein response to what, you, what you've done training wise unless you've had a lot of protein previously mm. um, that's why protein shakes and protein supplements exist so you don't have to literally have your dinner when you leave the gym you can just have a protein shake and mm. have it as you go because that window of time is, is, is short and the longer it, the longer you go the less response you're going to pick up mm. so generally you want to get some sort of protein in reasonably soon Mm. Uh, it doesn't have to be overly imminently. If you're if you're an elite a level athlete, it's a little bit different. Yes. Um, but for everyday people, 15, 20 minutes if you can get some protein in, that's that's probably the good thing. And, and what do you recommend as the best sources of protein for post exercise intake? <laughs> Again, you need effectively what we call a, a full spectrum of uh, amino acids. So amino acids um, are basically the building blocks of life. Mm. Uh, everything's made out of it. Um, there are different ways of getting it. Obviously, um, animal products uh, are a large source of it. Um, eggs, chicken, steak, salmon, etc., all all very good. Um, but again, we, we live in a culture where you know, vegetarians and vegans, uh, and veganism is, is is much more popular these days. So mm -hmm. there are, of course, other ways of doing it. Um, if you are vegetarian, if you are vegan, the amounts you need to consume are much more challenging without those products. Um, so supplementation becomes key. So having uh, pea or grass or hemp protein supplementation is, is, is recommended mm -hmm. um, just to get the full spectrum of amino acids and, um, and to get the right amount in. Good. We're, we're getting through these questions, Jason. Um, <laughs> does fasted cardio burn more fat? I think I know how you're going to answer this. <laughs> um, 
Yes. And the short answer is yes, um, but it's really complicated mm. is, the, is, is, is what the sort of caveat I want to put onto it. Um, there's kind of two stages of fasted cardio. So there's fasting to the point where you're um, kind of reducing the amount of glycogen stores, your sugar stores within your liver uh, and keeping the glycogen stores within your muscle. And then there's sort of a second level, which is getting to a point where you fast so that your muscles have low glycogen. Now, level two where your muscles are low on glycogen is not for everyday people. That's for elite athletes only. Because again, the technicalities of it are incredibly hard to get to. Mm. Um, for kind of that level one, that sort of low liver glycogen, again, you're looking at a, a good amount of time. And I think it's somewhere around 16, 16 odd hours of fasting would be required prior to cardiovascular training for that. Now, right. if I ask most people to take 16 hours away from eating before they then do cardiovascular work, they're actually going to be a little bit unable, a bit low on energy. Mm. Uh, and that's where the Presumably there's risk, some risk with that, is there? Yeah, there is, yeah. Yeah, again, in terms of how, how you feel and your response to it. So energy is important for creating a lot of the responses we have. And if you're low on energy, again, we then get a hormonal response that comes with that kind of cortisol response as well. So fasted cardio is really complicated. It can be a really good way of doing cardiovascular work, but you have to be in a position you know, in, in your lifestyle to do that well. Mm. For most everyday people, it's just very, very difficult to get right. And if you mm. get it wrong... It's just you're, you're making it worse. Yes. So I don't necessarily, I don't recommend it very much to my clients. I think it's, it's, it's far more complicated than, than, than it needs, you know, for that, for what most people need in terms of burning their body fat. Mm -hmm. um, there are better ways and better things that we can do and more controlled ways of doing that to start with. Mm -hmm. And then as we get further down the line, as people get, what if people want to get incredibly lean, if they want to, if they want to be a bodybuilder, if they want to really create a position where they're burning lots of body fat and getting very, very lean, then that's where you need to get to. But it's really not something that everyday people need to mm. worry about and need to spend far more time thinking about making sure they've got enough muscle mass, making sure they're active enough and that kind of calorie balance we mentioned earlier about yes. perhaps reducing the amount of calories they have every day is a better way of burning their body fat to mm. start with. And for those interested in fasting generally, of course, our fasting programs here um, are supervised, medically supervised by, by Dr. Levine. Um, but in, in all these examples, you know, do take the relevant appropriate advice through trainers and doctors. Um, getting towards the end now, Jason, uh, caffeine and coffee, uh, consuming coffee just immediately prior to exercise, that we've seen that uh, creep in now over the last few years. Let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. You see it. You, just about every personal trainer in the world seems to drink coffee, except me, I think. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I thoroughly recommend it. I, I, you know, there, there's a there's a limit. I think for a lot of people, I actually refer them to having caffeine supplementation as opposed to drinking coffee, just because if you drink a, you know, have an espresso, it's probably all right. But you have a, you know, you have a flat white before you train. You're probably not going to be feeling your best halfway through that training session. So, um, supplementing some caffeine just because of how it works as a stimulant, how it creates uh, um, kind of a, you know, a mind muscle response and creates alert alertness, uh, especially for people that train early in the morning, for instance. You can actually get a better you can train harder you can train better you, you can do, do more repetitions you can get a little but bit more out of it is that measurable can you is it actually quantified yeah there's it's absolutely i mean there are there are there's quite a lot of studies about um you know it's, it's not hard to find a few of them in terms of you know 
the response from caffeine, but it's definitely something we'd recommend. Mm. Um, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have an increased alertness. You're gonna have increased stimulation um, neuromuscularly. That's gonna be able to give you more work. And if you work harder, whatever your goals are, whether you're trying to do more repetitions of weight, trying to uh, work harder in terms of cardiovascular work, it's just gonna enable you to do that. Mm. So yeah, I thoroughly recommend it. Okay, and let's finish with uh, supplementation, uh, vitamins and otherwise. Uh, do you recommend that? Uh, let's talk generally. Yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously we mentioned again a little bit earlier about blood testing and, and really making sure there are supplementations which are specific for you. And that might be metal minerals. It might be zinc, magnesium, uh, iron, things like that that some people get, end up being a bit deficient in. Mm. Um, the more common things that we see um, uh, in, in the gym and probably the most prominent one would be creatine. Mm. Um, creatine is one of the most cheaply produced supplements in the entire or you know in the, in the entire world it, it literally it's a, it's a natural product that we create in our in our in our kidneys um and i would recommend that every single person on the planet takes creatine um it's technically a it's a again it's hard to make this not too scientific but it's uh it works from a training point of view as a buffer so it means that point where we become a little bit more acidic within our within our cells during training as we produce more lactic acid after we you know the byproduct of training. Taking creatine will actually buffer that a little bit and mean that if you could only do eight pull-ups before, taking creatine means you should be able to do nine. So it just enables you to have just that little bit more high end. In when and we're when and how do you take creatine? Creatine comes as a powder or as a tablet. You mm -hmm. take it. Um, you can take it just as part of your normal day. Um, you don't need to take it specifically pre-training. It's just something that you should have during the day and your body has it and, and, and maintains it. Um, so definitely that. It's also had some really awesome science in the last few weeks actually about um, its mental acuity and the way it works for the brain, helps for the brain synapses. Really? Um, so you actually feel smarter and sharper if you take creatine every day. Mm. Um, and even for those that suffer with depression, actually, there was a really interesting um, article uh, and journal produced, I think it was in Germany recently, about links between people who have depression and taking creatine actually helping their kind of as a mood enhancer as well and helping mm. and helping uh, helping people feel you know uh, less likely to, to, to drift back into it so it's a win-win there are no bad sides to creatine there are no doubt. there are literally none so right we should well, take creatine I'm making a note of that <laughs> and it's really cheap like it's literally the cheapest supplement you can buy so it doesn't even there's no reason why people shouldn't do it there we are Jason you have sailed through these questions <laughs> well, didn't trip up once. Um, thank you. Uh, it has been uh, uh, enlightening and an education. And um, for those of you listening that, that know Jason and our excellent team of trainers, we look forward to seeing you here soon. Uh, for those listening uh, that would like more information, uh, please do email lanzerhoff at theartsclub.co.uk. And uh, Jason, once again, thank you very, very much. No, thanks for having me. I hope uh, hope everyone learned at least one thing new and um, can take some things to help improve their training. I'm off to buy some creatine. Fantastic. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.